This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello, everyone. Before we start the show, we'd like to announce our new partnership with Therese Eyewear. Therese specializes in Polaroid glasses for outdoor folks like us that won't break the bank. Now, they have many styles to choose from, whether you're biking, jogging, playing sports, or like us on the water all day where we need to keep that sun glare down to catch fish. Now, with a lifetime warranty, 60-day fitment replacement, saltwater corrosion, and scratch resistance, how much can you add, more can you ask for? Therese has something to offer for everyone. Now, don't forget to use our coupon code TIDECHASERS at checkout on their website at therese.com. That's T-O-R-E-G-E.com for a 20% off discount for all our listeners. Now, let's get on with the show. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Tide Chasers Podcast, where each week we try to connect you guys to a very interesting guest in the industry. And the end goal is that everyone learns something new or helps you rethink of something that you long to believe to be true. Uh, As always, if you haven't already subscribed, like and shared our podcast, please make sure you guys do so. Uh, So tonight we're doing something a little special, and that brings back one of our previous guests and also a new guest tonight. Um, tonight's co-host will be our favorite fly guy, Professor Bobby. What's going on, Bob? Hey, what's going on, guys? Another day, another dollar. All right. And also our return guest is uh, one of our South Jersey fly specialists. He was in one of our earlier episodes. David McGlory, how you doing, Dave? Good. How are you? Good, man. Welcome back, buddy. Thank you. It's fun. We've seen, seen you out there putting in the grind, putting those work, man. And hopefully yeah. all those nights aren't worth nothing with skunks, right? Doing my best to turn my back on the schoolies. <laughs> cool, cool. Now, as you can tell by tonight's uh, kind of topic already, right two fly guys. Tonight is all going to be about the fly, saltwater fly fishing game. Um, now, we did do an early episode on the fly on saltwater, but uh, it was more for like a novice kind of deal. But today, um, we're going to pick up a notch. We're going to get into the intermediate level. Because recently I've noticed that uh, it's been a super big uptick of a lot of new fly anglers, regular anglers, 
picking up fly rods. It's just something new this year, especially in South Jersey. A lot of guys are, you know, been beginning with just a few of us. And now it's like everyone's picking up a fly rod this season. Uh, so we're, we might as well get a little deeper, dig deeper for those guys that are super interested. Um, well, tonight we're bringing in a panel of experts tonight. I'm being the, the youngest in the, in the bunch. And, ra- and then rounding it off, the, the finale is going to be our last host. It's going to be a South Jersey fly specialist. And we're honored to introduce Joseph Nicosia. How are you doing, Joseph? Doing great, thanks. Cool, cool, cool. Joseph's on the water still. He's just getting right off the beach fishing, so you know he's grinding. Yeah, I just got off the rock trying to avoid the school. He's going after um, uh, taking my chances on uh, the big ones. I feel you, man. The big ones are far and few. I mean, Dave just came in from himself looking for the big one, throwing 12 weights all night. So um, he's not that far behind. He's hunting for big ones, too. Yep. All right, cool. All right, so, uh, I mean, before you even start digging into this episode and more about intermediate saltwater fly fishing, um, we want to hear a little bit background about our guest, Joseph. Uh, so, just real quick, where'd you get started fishing, your background, and and especially fly fishing? How'd you get into all that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I started fishing in a young age, just like everybody else, in ponds and, you know, lakes and rivers. Um, but we'll move ahead to the fly fishing stuff, the important stuff. Um you know, it was, it was growing up watching um, Flip Pallet, man, and, you know, a couple of the fly fishing shows, um, Flip was probably the number one thing. I just me- mesmerized by, you know, his uh, his show, man, w- watching him catch these big tarpon on the fly and, you know, uh, piqued my interest. So um, I started picking it up. You know, I, I, I purchased a, like my first rod was like a Cabela's rod uh, outfit and you know, um, and just started messing around with, at, a, at some farm ponds for uh, uh, sunfish and crappie and all kinds of little fish were fun on poppers. And that, that's pretty much where it started. And, you know, it just grew from there, watching, going to different shows and watching, you know, you know, um, videos and, you know, VHS videos and, and subscribing to magazines and buying books, going to the bookstore. You know, we didn't have the social media back then. It was all about books. I still have my first book that I bought, um, Lefty Craze book. So, I mean, I, I, I came up the old school way, you know, learning by books, reading stuff. And, you know, I had the opportunity to meet Bob a lot when I first started. Um, when I started hitting Island Beach up, he was always there in that big four by four van. Um, so it's a little bit of, little bit of background how I how I started. Nice, nice. All right, so that's a good, really super background, and then and and as you mentioned Bob, and we're not talking about my Bob, right? Because I, I don't think I don't think my Bob's ever met you in a four by four. No. I've never seen him in a four by four big van. <laughs> no, we're talking about we're talking about the legend. We're talking about the legend, Bob. All right, Papa, yeah. uh, definitely he is a le- definitely le- legend on in the Jersey Shore with uh, especially fly rods and fly fishing in itself. All right, cool. So this episode, guys, we're doing a little bit different. We're going to make it sort of a kind of roundtable talk. Um, I'm going to pretty much kind of ask a few questions, and we're going to move around the table and get the uh, opinions of our expert panel. Um, you know, each of, our, each, of our, each of our panel on here has a different opinion, everything on gear, line, wire, cleaning, maintenance, all of that. So gives you guys three different concepts of, you know, the fly fishing, and you, your choice is to pick which which guy you like to believe in. 
I mean, they're all great. They all put numbers in, you know, so, and they put their hours in. Trust me, these guys fish and they fish hard. So, all right, cool. So my first question will be, it's going to go to Joe and then right to Dave and then right to Bob. So the first question is going to be, when now why did you choose fly fishing in the salt instead of traditional gear? Um, and also is fly fishing for everyone? And what are your pros and cons about it? Yeah, so in the salt water, um, you know, it was just first starting starting out on the beach and stuff. It just it fit, you know, my my concept and you know what I wanted to achieve. Um, I did spin fish freshwater for smallmouth bass, largemouth bass, and all that, but. In the salt water, I never even picked up a, a spin rod. You know, it was all fly fishing, um, you know, from when I first started in like 1991, I think. Um, so, I, you know, it, it hasn't even, it doesn't even, it's just automatic, right? I don't even think about picking up a spinning rod. Don't even think about it. Actually, I did think about it this past couple of weeks for my wife. So I have to buy her a spinning rod. She's only, you know, I, I said she was the only one to be able to spin a fish off my boat, but apparently you did. So that's not true. Yeah, you, you guys, you, if you were on boat that day, you should have seen how how hard I tried to get him to pick up a spin rod. He's like, nope, not picking it up. I was like, I was catching fish, and then we, there, I was raising a lot of fish, and he would he didn't care. He kept throwing the fly. He kept throwing the fly. He didn't care. He didn't care if I raised twenty five fish that day, and he just Every kept throwing it. Every cast with your dock, with your screw, fish were on it every single cast. Yeah, I, I literally was catching a fish almost every other cast and then raising cat. If I, if I didn't catch a fish, I had like six fish follow and hit. And, and I just looked, I looked to the bow and Joe's still up there swinging that fly rod. He doesn't care. He's going to find one. I mean, he got a bunch of follows that day and he had one crazy explosion too on a popper. And we, we heard that thing like a mile away. That thing was crazy. Amazing. Yeah, and I, and I missed the one right at the boat from the fish that was following your spook to the transom. Remember that? And I, yeah, that, I flew my fly out there real quick. And he missed it by like an inch. Literally, that fly yeah. just kind of like was on his lip and just kind of fell off. I'm just like, oh, my God, how did he miss? It was a big fish, too. It wasn't small. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't even uh, doesn't even come to my head. I mean, li listen, I, I we can be like everybody else and pick up spinning rods and catch fish i could get a big rod and catch a big bass tonight if i wanted but you know it's just not not what i do or not what i am anymore you know i don't actually i never even did that so i don't i don't know i don't even know what it's like so i don't think i would ever even try i mean us, us fly guys i we respect that i mean dave's the same way too so we're gonna get to him in a minute now the, the second one was is fly fishing for everyone definitely not Definitely not. I mean, I, I honestly, I, at first, I didn't think it was for me. It was hard because I, I you know, I, I go off, you know, my my senior year in high school and a couple years after hitting the Susquehanna River, right, when they were catching 100 fish small, 100 fish days, you know, and, and I went there a bunch of times with my friend and, you know, casting rapalas and catching so many fish. And then, I, you know, I, I brought the fly rod out there and you don't, you know, you don't catch as many. So it's tough because if, if you have the mentality where you need to catch a lot of fish all the time, then fly, fly, the fly rod concept system's not for you for sure. You're gonna have your days, but for the most not, for the most part, you're not gonna catch uh, you know a lot of fish all the time. 
Gotcha. So any pros and cons between just from, from fly fishing over spin fishing, you well, think? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like last year, um, so when, 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 uh, you know, when fish, when especially stripers are keyed on like uh, small bait, like, um, uh, small sand eels mm-hmm. and, uh, they're at your feet, you can't get them on a spin rod. I mean, I was at Island beach last year and, you know, I mean, it was 20, 27 inch fish, but they were literally three feet off the beach, off the trough there and on keyed on small sand eels. And, you know, um, there were spin guys there. They, they couldn't catch it. I've been in many of those situations um, with when they're keyed on small bait like that. Um, bay anchovies, small sand eels, peanut bunker. Um, you know, there's, you know, worm hatches. There's, there's a lot of times where the fly rod definitely, you know, works over spin gear. Um, the con, the con, the con of that is, I mean, that's a small percentage too. You're talking about 20%. The other 80% is, you know, you're not catching anything. You're not, you're not in, you know, you're, you're in the, uh, in the minority, uh, the majority is catching fish on the beach or on the jetties. And you're, you're not that guy that day or most of the days. Gotcha. Definitely, definitely interesting opinion and answers. Uh, Dave, how about you? Like, why do you choose fly over traditional? Well, I mean, I've done my share of spin fishing and um, I did it for a reason. And um, it just helped me learn like their habits, where they hang out, um, different areas to target. I still recommend that for, I mean, I've said for years that the most important tool for a South Jersey fly fisherman to have to catch fish on the fly is a spinning rod because um you can just cover water 10 times as fast. You could find out where they hang out and where they sit like within a couple of days or, you know, like if you come down for a month or you come down every weekend in the summertime, you know, you could cover the water with the spinning gear and you could put the fly to the spots that you think hold more. Um, but why I chose it, why I choose it is because it's a challenge and um I mean, I want to say that I've already caught my share on the spinning rod because I'm sure in the future I'll put down the fly rod and pick back up the spinning rod. Um, I'm by no means a purist for life, but for the past while I have been. Um, and also, um, I mean, I don't even know why. I don't even know why I like it better, actually. It's... Um, more of a challenge. I do think it works better in the long run. I think that um, it might seem like at first, like it doesn't work as good as the spinning rod. But um, I mean, I spent the last few seasons proving that wrong to myself. I think it is more effective. I think it's just hard to overcome a couple things that you take for granted when you're spin fishing, like mainly distance. I mean, so um, distance comes with um, being relaxed and not worrying about, am I going to be able to catch this far enough? Is the wind going to mess me up? Um, is You can't cast the fly far enough. I mean, this hurts a little. I mean, it, you overcome all of that 
and you become confident with the fly rod over time, um, you get to that level where, you know, you're swimming like bait. The fish are used to seeing a lot of lures and plugs, so the flies seem different to them, I think. I noticed that once the fish, like locally, like in the creek behind my house and stuff, once they get to notice that the flies aren't real, then they lose their effectiveness for me. But like when I go to areas that have been hit by spin fishermen and, you know, like jetties normally in the summertime, and it's like the fly gives me that edge. Um, but I choose the fly more because it's a personal challenge. Respectable, respectable. And now, um, do you think fly fishing for everyone? I think that a lot of people think that it's not for them and they shouldn't think that. Um, I think everyone should pick it up and try it. And everyone um, should always spread their, I guess, quiver of tools that they need at any given time. I mean, I live here. So for me, it's not the biggest deal when I don't catch anything because I know that in two days, I'll just go back. You know, so like a lot of times my fishing trips only last for an hour and like, but like if you're down, coming down the shore for a, a weekend or a day or a week, you definitely want to have a fly rod with you because so many times like we get into these situations where we can capitalize to such a higher level than like a jig or something that's fast moving through the water and it's just something about the way the fly moves and the way that it acts it like is more lifelike um you know it's quiet just like a bait fish i mean you don't hear rattling bait fish going around gotcha. so like the whale that rattle at first when they don't know what it is or when they're angry or out of aggression but you know once they get hip to that rattle i, th I have always thought it's more of a detriment and so the fly and like you know, a lot of the best fishermen I know, spin fishermen, plug fishermen, they catch their biggest fish every year at night in the daytime in winter and summer on bucktails because they like move silently through the water more like a fish does. And I just think the fly does that even better than a bucktail does. So um, back to your question, I know I got off topic there. Um, I think everyone should not be afraid to pick up the fly rod and everyone should give it a try. And it could be, even if you don't use it all the time, you don't have to be a purist, but it's a good tool to have on your boat, you know, and, and even for like offshore fish, like those mahis and stuff, like you could throw plugs at those, um, you could throw plugs at those lobster pots all you want and you might get a follow or two, but you know, it's completely different with the fly. I mean, you know, Eric capitalizes off of that pretty well. Yeah. And, um, you know, as far as the other offshore fish, I mean, you could use it for that. Cool. And I just think it's good that for everyone to pick it up. Good. Great answer, man. Definitely a great answer. Uh, we're going to move over to Bob. So, Bob. Well, Bob's a little bit different than these two guys. All right. Bob does both and he, and he does it efficiently, but, but he see Bob says he doesn't, he has his own way of thinking and he's caught like a lot of heat sometimes with other anglers with this, but we're going to let Bobby explain. Bobby, you're muted. You guys hear me? Yeah, we're good. Sorry. 
I was I was saying I was wondering if I should play devil's advocate or if I should just agree with everyone. Yeah. No, then it wouldn't then we wouldn't be your opinion. Yeah, it'd be fine. But um I mean you everyone knows my opinion. I am fly or die. I love fly fishing, but in salt, uh it, it, there's certain times I turn to the fly rod. And that's how I feel. I don't think fly fishing in the salt is needed or necessary all the time. Um, I think Joe said it best. I think there's certain times when they're keyed in on those small little baits. And that's when I really, really love doing it because you get to see the frustrated spin guys throwing everything in their toolbox at it or tackle box at it. And you come in with a fly rod and you just smoke them because that is more realistic uh, of what they're chasing at that time. But in terms of the fly rod, I mean, I love it because I mean, it's definitely more challenging, but it's just more intimate. Uh, and that's really the best way to say it. Everything about it when you're throwing a fly rod is connected. I mean, everything comes into play. There's so many factors, the wind, right? The wind has to be just right when you cast sometimes for it to just get out perfectly. Um, your strips, you know, sometimes you can do them slow, you can do them fast, but every once in a while, you know that you've done everything right. And that's usually when you get that hit or that strike. Um, and you're just paying so much more attention. And we were talking to Joe earlier and he was saying like, I wasn't even paying attention to everyone around. I was just focused on my popper and my fly line out there in the water. Uh, and that's how I feel about it. I mean, you lose connection with the rest of the world and you're focused on that fly and your cast and everything about it. Um, but then again, like I said, I, I don't think it's necessary all the time. I mean, if, if they're, if they're on sand deals and they're over the bar i will gladly pick up a spin rod and throw an ava over the bar because there's just no way you're going to reach it with a fly rod um i i would love to get like a surf cannon fly rod and throw it out there because catching a fish on a fly rod is so much better than a spin rod i mean uh i'm going back to the intimacy thing but just everything is softer and more subtle so when you hook a fish even if it is like a 20 inch schoolie on a fly rod it feels like a 40 inch fish pretty 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 much all the time and it's just incredible i mean you uh, once you get used to it you know but there's some times where you think you got a 40 incher on the on the end of your line and it comes up and it's just a a mere hard fight in 30 and you're like wow that felt so much bigger but that's what makes it fun you just never know what's going to come up at that point um that's how i feel about it i mean i love it i think Going back to your question about should everyone do it? I do think, like Dave said, everyone should try fly fishing at some point in their life. It's probably not for everyone, um, especially in those situations where there's full out blitzes on the other side of the bar. And if you're a solid fly or die guy, you're going to get frustrated as hell. Like, let's not sugarcoat it. Uh, I'm sure Joe and Dave have all seen it and all been there where the spin guys are tearing it up and the fly guys aren't. Uh, and that happens vice versa, of course. But um if you're out there just to catch as many fish as possible, the spin rod really is the way to go. But if you're out there for the experience and the intimacy of fishing and all that comes with it, fly fishing is really the way to go. So I do think everyone should try it. I know it's definitely not for everyone. Um, and that's really it. I mean, I kind of got through all the pros and cons of how I feel about it as yeah. well. Answer, so. so there you go, guys, three different answers, three different people. So it's kind of your de determination. Do you want to pick up a fly rod? They, but they all had one same agreement that you guys always take an opportunity to pick up a fly rod and try it out. You know, if you don't like it, then you don't like it. But, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a new kind of tactic. It's something new to try out. Now, I mean, on previous episodes, we talked about rods and like, you know, a lot of entry level rods and stuff like that for fly fishing, you know, but this is more an intermediate kind of thing. So this section, we're going to discuss about the type of rods that these guys carry. 
Um, and also if they use specific ones to throw certain flies, like I know, I know Joe has certain rods that he uses to throw bigger flies and smaller flies. And then Dave also has a def- couple of different rods depending what he throws. So they'll explain it. Uh, it doesn't have to be super long, but they just kind of give you an idea of why they have these rods. Why does it work better than a longer rod or a short rod, you know, or a short stick. And um, cause you know, it, all of us starts out with a nine footer, you know, and then from then on, we kind of learn, which rods we need, what's in our arsenal. Like, I mean, like me in the beginning, what am I doing? I'm buying more fly rods than I own, you know? It's kind of like, it's, it's crazy. And besides, besides Dave over there, he's got like freaking an army of rods. But, <laughs> but that's the fact that he builds his own rods. So, um, all right, let's start with, let's start with JoJo. So let's, let's discuss some of the rods you carry. I've seen the rods you had on your boat, and they were like, they all were some beautiful rods. Yeah, yeah, so I got a, um, a fleet of uh, G. Luma short sticks, which they made about uh, eight to ten seasons ago. Um, it's it's basically a short, stout fly rod, just like the Sage made the largemouth, uh, smallmouth, the peacock rod. Um, and I know um, Century's starting to make some short rods now. Um, but, but I'm loving the short rods now. If you go back in history, the reason why they made nine-foot fly rods is because most, you know, you know, back in the early 1900s, you're standing in water, right? You're up to your knees in water and you need that extra length off the surface. Um, you know, so I love the short rods on boats and, you know, on jetties, it's easier to land fish. So, yeah, I have, a, you know, and, and they, they definitely can cast. I mean, you saw it. I have, I have giant, I, you've seen some of my giant poppers. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, these are like offshore size poppers. Like they're a foot long giant one and a half inch um popper bodies i mean you're not casting that with a 10 weight you know i got i got 11 12 short sticks that would cast that easy um so so i do i still do love nine foot rods and, and when i'm waiting when i'm you know when i used to go to martha's vineyard a lot on lobsterville beach when you're up to your knees in water back bay when you're waiting uh, delaware river when you're waiting it definitely um helps um you know, even in the canoe, since you kind of are kayak, because you're kind of still kind of low to the water. But I'm definitely preferring the short rods nowadays. Now, is there a certain length when you're preferring short rods, like a seven six, seven ten, eight? Well, so I got I got one G Loomis. It's a short stalker, and that's that's um that's eight foot six. Then, but my G Loomis short sticks are super super short. They're they're seven foot six. Now the sage the sage rods I don't have the sage rods. My buddy has one. Um, they're seven foot eleven. And the reason why they did that too is because of uh, bass bass uh, tournament regulations. Um, specified the rods have to be you know under a certain length to be able to for them to use it. Um, but I, I mean I, I did fine with the um, with the seven foot six short sticks. You know. And, and the, the engineer behind it, I mean, obviously Gary Loomis um, was one of the engineers, but the gentleman who's making the short sticks, the short versions of the century rods, you know, uh, he's behind that rod as well. He was behind the G Loomis short sticks too. Um, I don't know. I just, I find that it's also easier to cast, you know, it's one, literally one, maybe two back casts and you can just shoot the line. 
would you recommend for like for, for like guys just getting into it would would you recommend them just to learn how to throw the nine first and then step down to like a seven six seven ten or would you kind of would you suggest that maybe have the nine but also have a seven ten or a seven six to see how it feels yeah so it's different it's a different casting stroke so it's you know it's just a different adjust, there's adjustments you have to make but yeah, I would definitely start off with the nine foot rod because then you can get the traditional basics in, you know, of fly casting um, with the strokes and stuff. For sure. So definitely start with the nine. Cool. Yeah. Just as I expressed, you know, and Bobby also expresses another episode, guys, um, nine, one of the most important pieces of fly fishing is the rod itself. You know, the reel itself is just a line holder. The rod is where, you know, the rod is pretty much the, the, the the brain of the the whole ordeal so you got to be if you're going to invest money anywhere invest in your rod you know yeah you see you know you, you'll see like a two three hundred dollar like orvis clear water or something like a beginner rod right you're like oh cool it casts is fine but then when you pick up something like a sage salt or say or a g loomis or a century you know fmj or something like that you know it's a totally different feel like i had my rod my clear water and i'm throwing it right and then the, and one day i picked up bobby's sage salt and I threw it and I was just like, it was like having a nerve. I'm like, whoa, what just happened? You know what I mean? It, it, it's a totally different feel when you, between just like an, an entry level fly rod and you pick up like a high dollar, like eight, $9,000 fly rod. It's, it's a lot different. People don't think it is, but it, it's a totally big different change. For sure. Yeah. I have, I have a, say, I have a, a couple sage salts and sage XI3s and as well, but yep, for sure. Yep. I'll tell uh, you the only time I would recommend really starting with a smaller seven six rod is if you're a young kid. Oh yeah. Um because handling a nine foot rod being small was actually really, really challenging. So I learned on the seven six Reddington rod. It was a five weight, of course, for trout, but um learning picking up my dad's rod and trying to throw the nine, it was just a disaster because you know, your stroke's not perfect at that time. You're coming back too far. So you're just hitting the ground nonstop. So like, that's the only time I think I'd recommend starting with a seven, six or an eight foot is if you're young and just starting out learning. Otherwise yeah. nine's the way to start. Like Joe said. Gotcha. All right. Well, Dave, how about you? What, what, what rods are you carrying? What rods are you throwing? And do you have any short stuff? Cause we know you build a lot of your own rides. So, I mean, you, so you have blanks, you have, an open world of building whatever you want. Yeah. So, I mean, where we live, you could find yourself fishing next to trees. You could find yourself in 10 foot with 10 foot grass behind you. You could find yourself wading um, up to your waist, having to get cast off. You can find yourself in a boat where distance is everything. Um, I'll always say that distance is most important when you're in a boat. So, when I'm in the boat, I like a rod that's from eight to nine foot and change. A couple of my rods are like nine foot three. My 10 weight MHX is a nine foot three. Um, I like the seven foot six size and I cut some blanks down to that size for casting inside of trees. And when you have to cast like in between buildings and get cast off in tight places, I like like eight foot and smaller for that. Um, I like the, those short sticks for doing the light line thing because you want to have tight, clean casts and accurate casts. And I feel like those shorter rods are better for close range 
pinpoint accuracy. Um, I also like the shorter rods in the heavy winds that we have every day down here. So like, um, I really appreciate my blue halo. They come eight foot six. One I had, um, I cut down to eight foot, my nine weight. So that, you know, the weight of that fiberglass and that's, you know, that's something else you could bring into consideration is that what the rods made out of, um, you know, what you were saying with your Orvis clear water compared to the sage felt crisper and cleaner. I mean, that's just the quality of the carbon that's in the rod. I remember um, when you brought your century on the boat, it had that crisp, clean sage like feeling. Um, what else can you say about rods? You know, and when I'm fishing with the high grass behind me and when I'm wading and I'm walking the side banks, I definitely appreciate the longer, the longer um, rod, even in the wind, because what the wind does is just drops your line to the ground on you. So the longer ride rod helps prevent that. Not to mention when you're making unclean casts, it keeps you that much more off the ground. So you don't snag on the back cast hardly ever with that nine foot rod. Um, there's been many times I tried to take out the blue hello eight foot sixes and it's just been way too short and that just that six inches will um will um cause that to happen. Another thing is the makeup of the rod and the action. So like your century and the sage rods and um a lot of those carbon blanks, they are really stiff. And they have, they definitely have a problem of ripping the the fly out of the mouth of the fish for absolutely no reason. The fish turns its head and boom, it's off. And um, I think that's literally just that stiff carbon just ripping the hook right out of his mouth when like when I'm fishing with my blue halos or composites or a little bit of a slower action graphite blank, you have that problem way less. Like I still have yet to lose a nice striper on my blue Halo seven. That is like butter. And I heard a lot of steelhead guys praising the blue Halo blanks because of that reason. And, you know, from my perspective, that's sort of what you want. You don't want to rip the hook out you want a little bit of forgiveness. And I feel like the glass and the composites give you much more forgiveness and the, like the mod fast action. And I also heard Hardy, talking about that too with their rods that um it needs to bend in the right places and i know sage with their new series took that problem on with their blanks with their new r8 series and they're talking about how it's like a more of a moderate action and how it has fling throughout the blank so like you have to just choose which one of that is best for you are you an aggressive fighter like i am like i want to pull so those super fast action blanks aren't a good mix with me because I just rip the rip the fly right out of the mouth. Um, the rods with the more cushion give me more flexibility to make mistakes when I'm fighting the fish. Um, and um, as far as distance, I think that comes mostly from your line and. I would say um, Bob was saying that to invest in the rod first. And I would say that you could get any rod to throw a decent line well. And the line is the number one ingredient in the scenario myself.
Um, and that's my thoughts pretty much on rods in a nutshell. Gotcha. I mean, you, that, that answers one of my questions I was going to ask the other two too, is, is the length of the rod really that important for distance? Uh, but we'll circle back with that. So, um, it is, it is. definitely. And okay. there's definitely math involved in that. <laughs> well, you're not with the short rods. You're not going to cast. You're not going to cast 120 feet. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool, Bobby. I know what kind of rods you favor, but let's let's get, let's hear it. Yeah, I, I mean, I I kind of agree with everyone, but I kind of disagree with everyone. So that's why I have you here, Bobby. <laughs> and that's how I'm going to play this night, I think. So uh, I'm all about nine foot and above, and it's mostly because of that distance factor. Um, like Joe just said, seven, 10, I mean, seven footer, eight seven. footer, you're just not going to cast as far. It's going to be a comfortable cast. It's a little different. Um, but, and it's easier to use. I mean, if you're casting all night, sure. That's the way to go, but you're just not going to get that distance with it. So I'm a big fan of nine footers, even a nine, six, sometimes you might even go 10. Um, the biggest problem with going that big though, of course, is like Dave said, wind. So on a windy day, that's you not find Bob with the fly rod. Bob will be throwing the spinning rod at the shore on a windy day. That's for sure. For trout fishing, it's a different story. I'll punch through that wind. I'll double haul my ass off. But uh, if we're at the shore and these hurricane winds that we've been having, especially this season, it's been really rough down there. Uh, I'll be throwing diamond jigs and, and big plugs and, and stay away from the fly day or the fly gear that day. Um, I think Dave is kind of right with the line. Um, I do think it's less important in salt than it is in like trout fishing. Cause in trout fishing, that line has a big role in floating and supporting your fly. Whereas most of the time the line is just there to get it out there in salt. Um, I think if you have good casting dynamics and you have a solid rod that you're comfortable with, I think the line is a little less important here than in trout fishing. Um, that being said, high quality line is a must in my mind, um, just because there is some really crappy lines out there that will hurt you and really affect your your, your ability. Um, yeah, like and the then, new water lines are just amazing. Yeah, the new one. Yeah, and the, and they're not as expensive, so you can find really good cheap um, saltwater lines now. So you don't have to spend one hundred and thirty dollars on line anymore, which is fantastic. Uh, I am a huge fan of fast action rods, unlike Dave. Um, mostly I, I think only because I'm a trout guy. So like when I set the hook, I don't set the hook. Um, I, I basically, when I'm holding the fly rod, I think like a trout still. So like when that fish hits, I do a soft little set, which is all you really need with a fast action rod. Um, and, and then I'm not aggressively fighting like Dave is, uh, most of the time I'm still fighting it. Like it's a 40 inch fish, even if it's a little schooly. um, uh, that being said, I'm not sure if that's actually a good thing or a bad thing in terms of fish health if we want to get to our conservation, um, because getting the fish in quickly, of course, is key, especially in the summer months, yep. um, which again is probably when I'm not throwing the fly rod because it's also less effective during those times. Um, but that being said, I do like the fast action, again, mostly because when you're on the surf, you got to punch, you got to really get through the wind. Um, and that fast action rod really helps with the cast. Um, even if it does hurt you with the hook sets. Um, yeah, I think it's all. I think, I think it's all I got. So like I said, I, I half agree with everyone. Go ahead, Joe. I can open up a can of worms with the two-handed rods. I have a, a, a really nice G. Loomis two-hander, 11-foot rod. You know, I've had a 14-foot rod too. So 
in the surf, I've seen those in windy days with the, you know, 600, 700 green lines. You can really cast those out there pretty good. And those two-handed rods are a whole another can of worms. We're going to open up another day. Like, I, I haven't even gotten to those, so we're going to leave those there. I mean, just to touch on that topic, line is going to be our next topic, but, uh, like, I had the experience of it. Like, I was throwing in, like, an older, like, I think, scientific angler, warm fish red fish kind of line and then i was throwing it and i wasn't getting the distance and then i just literally recently just swapped over to the uh, the Cortland stuff bobby got me some stuff and my casting went from like 40 to 50 feet now i'm at like 60 to 70 but just with the line swap i mean i mean of course it's different between floating and like a, a full sink it's a lot heavier so it's easier you don't have to put much effort in the cast but i mean that changes the dynamics of everything too so that's that's where we step off into our next piece of the puzzle you know the fly line i say fly line is almost second important as the rock because it comes right in next so uh with you know for joe um there are so many types of fly lines out there in the industry you know like how does one choose which line they need uh like can we break down and explain some of the more popular stuff because i mean we know there's there's one there's like shooting head ones there's like you know tapered double tapered like all these crazy but just the more popular ones that you know a majority of us will be using in the salt yeah so so recently i would say over the past 10 years the rio outbound series have probably been the most popular um and 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 i have i have a bunch of those so basically it's just a compressed head with all the grain weight in the first 30 feet um allows you to shoot the line um Cortland makes them now airflow 40 plus beach lines you know the airflow beach lines are all they're all the same concept um so I, you know that's what i generally have i have probably i don't know 40 lines sitting in my uh arsenal you know i i used to do the shooting head concept um you know back in the early 90s that's what everybody did right we had braided line running line you had heads you know, and that was the easiest thing to do to swap out the heads, sinking head, intermediate head, floating head. Um, I think Rio still has that, still makes shooting heads, and you can get their running line, their power flex running line, but I don't think anybody in the salt does that anymore. Um, so, yeah, the most popular lines I, I use right now is just the Rio outbound series, intermediate, floating, and the sinking lines. I have a couple different sinking lines. I do, the new sinking lines are awesome. The triple density ones, they're just fabulous, right? So they have three different grain weights kind of tapered in the sinking line. So, you know, the first 10 feet from your fly rod, it sinks a little bit, right? It's different grain weights over the tip, and then it's really heavy in the tip. So it kind of goes down on an angle where you're stripping. And your your sinking line is dragging on the rocks, right, and, and off the jetty or something. Um, so the the new triple density sinking lines, I'm a big fan of as well. Okay, so I mean, a majority of the time when we're out fishing, like well, I fished with you last the other week or two, um, and like we always carry what like two rods, right? Uh, well, what what are on those two rods? Well, like maybe an intermediate and like a full sink, or like an intermediate and a floating. Yes. Well, so because you were out there i didn't have enough uh to bring all my but usually I, i'll have uh, one of each okay. you know i i think that day i had um i had a uh i don't think i had a full sink i had an intermediate and i had a, the floater for the poppers 
I had the intermediate and the full sink that day. Yeah, but you can bring – so I have a winding system too. I can bring fly lines and swap them out real fast on the boat, you know. Mm -hmm. uh rio rio made where you can do has a little plastic handle and you can just wind on you know wind off your line real quick swap it out and put a different line on or you just have the spare spools i have tons of spare spools but um like you said the lines are definitely the second most important um unless you're offshore fishing for nine pelagics then the rules are probably the second most important but yeah for for the majority of fishing we do definitely in the line that's why i don't hesitate when i see sales and stuff and constantly looking at you know bears den closeouts feather craft closeouts air trading post closeouts i'm always looking for lines cool and and another important thing about uh lines is and I, i'm guilty of this myself is the uh, the importance of line maintenance like what like generally like what do you do to keep the line you know in tip-top shape like I, I find myself very guilty. Like I don't clean my lines and like, I don't stretch them and stuff like that. But like, what do, what do you recommend? Like, what are your maintenance stuff? Yeah. So I definitely clean them. I have, a, um, I don't, don't think they make it anymore. It's called a really good line winder. Um, we're talking 15 years ago. So yeah, I, I can put that my reel, hook my reel up to it and take the line off and then, you know, clean it, wind it back on. I definitely clean my lines. I think the most important thing really is, is to get the line twist out of your line. And I used to do that even at the beach. I used to take my fly off, take all my line off, and just kind of, you know, untwist the uh, untwist it. So if you throw a lot of poppers and, you know, um, that'll you'll tend to build a lot of line twists in your line, and then you'll start tangling even more with your running line. Um, uh, but, yeah, definitely uh, clean them. I used a Rio cleaner. Um you know, back in the day, you know, when I started, it was just cleaning them in the bathtub with soapy water. Gotcha. Get the All grit right. off of them, especially if you're fishing, you know, if you're fishing like lakes and stuff, there's a, you know, a lot of um, weeds and silt on the, on top of the water. Yeah. You have to clean your lines all the time with the freshwater lakes. Up. Gotcha. All right. Well, how about you? How about you, Dave? I know you're you're a big fan of like airflow and stuff like that. So, what what do you what do you usually carry out with you on your boat? And like, what's what's been your currently favorite brand that you've been working with? Well, I in my mind, there's airflow lines, and then there's not airflow lines. And um, the reason why I say that is what they're made of. Like the airflow has that supple feeling. Um, it's great. Like I fish in a lot of super cold temperatures and. There's no line that doesn't give me problems when it's cold besides airflow. So like any of the airflows, it just seems like for the colder water temps, they're just better. Now, that being said, in the summertime, a lot of times for those two months of extreme heat, I like the Rio because then I think that's just because of what it's made of and the PVC that it's made of just performs better in the heat and um, during the warm season. Um, you know, I've tried scientific anglers. I like them. I don't like their numbers as much as I appreciate um, the numbers of the airflows and the Rios, like a little bit more to the way that I think they should be designated because it just confuses me when, because like a lot of the scientific anglers' lines are two or three weight classes above. And not that airflows and Rios aren't. I mean, 
most Rios are from one size to a size and a half heavy, and a lot of the airflows are up to two. Um, but what comes down to me, the difference is that polyurethane fly line and the supple feeling that it has. Um, number one, I mean, that's my first thought on lines. My second thought is um, the head density, I mean, and the quality, the weight distribution. And it's almost like they're not going to make a cheap line that's intended to sell cheap as good as one that's intended to sell at 90, 100, $130. Um, and like now, like Joe was saying, you could find these closeout deals and I've been getting into it too. And just buying, like, instead of buying one new series airflow, I'll get like three of the old series. And a lot of people don't like that suppleness because if you don't, like Joe said, get the twist out of your line. If you don't um, make sure it's clean, if you don't watch where it is on the deck, I mean, it's not as hardy as a lot of the other lines like the Cortlands and the um, Scientific Anglers and the Rio. Um, I'm just a big fan of that polyurethane. And I mean, at this point, I like airflow always has that argument that they're helping the environment and this, that, and the other thing. But like, I mean, at this point the entire environment is totally screwed from Alaska to Antarctica. So it doesn't really matter in my mind anymore about the pollution aspect of the PVC because we're way beyond that point. But um, that's one thing about the airflows that they like promoting. Um, another thing I like about airflow is most of their lines are braided core. Um, and I feel like the same reason I don't like using monofilament on a spinning rod and I only use braid now, I just feel like the same thing transfers to what the fly, rod, fly line is made out of. Like the, um, most of the Rios are actually sol solid monocores. And I just think they retain memory worse and you have to get the memory out at a much higher level than you do with the airflow lines. Um, and that goes with scientific anglers and Cortland lines too. Um, other than that, yeah, you, know, you talk about- You clean your line? I do. I clean it with soap and water because they say that that activates the um, additives that they have in the lines and that it resurfaces the line. So like they say, use warm soapy water. Every manufacturer is saying that same thing because they put these chemical additives in it that like resiliconizes the line. And like a lot of Rio's lines, like newer lines are all about that. And it is nice. Like I just was using one of them tonight. And like, you could just feel it recirculating the silicone up to the top and it's a really nice line. Um, I was using the Leviathan. Uh, now, as far as it's floating, clock. as far as floating and sinking and um, I like when I'm fishing the side banks, which is what I do mainly, I like floating. It's like, I always say like most people's main line is gonna be an intermediate that wants to beat fish, beach fish or jetty fish. But for me, I go right for the floating if I'm fishing in the bay anytime. Um, even in the dead of winter, it's only a few times when it's ineffective. But it's a, it's a few times. I mean, one time Joe had his sinking line, his fast sink type five, and I had my floating and an intermediate on. And I couldn't get down to the fish quick enough because the current was moving so fast. Like he probably only had to get down three feet 
but I was staying up, you know, with both intermediate and floating up like from six inches below to 18 inches below because the current would just not give the fly time to sink. Um, that being said, like he was saying, you try to use a fast sink off a jetty or off a of land, you're just going to run them. Um, you try to get down to the bottoms of the channel with the sonar, you know, you're just going to ruin your line. Like, so you want to have a line that's not going to bottom out at all times in my mind. Um, of course, and like, you know, you can't effectively fish top waters, which is what you have to do in the salt water in the summertime, because those fish are not going to chase healthy bait fish around when the water is 68, 70, um, all the species, you know, so the floating line keeps it up in the strike zone. They want to be on top. They want to find injured bait. And um, I can't catch a bass on an intermediate in the summertime. I don't think I ever have. And if I do, they're little dumb dinks when, like, you put on a nice popper with a floater. And the bass is going to be sitting there just waiting to see something that he could easily eat. And so your floating line is going to keep it, give him exactly what he wants. So all that... General and generally speaking, when it's real cold, I like my type down to a type three. I'm not normally fishing in water deeper than six feet. In the springtime, when it's still cold, like now, I'll use the intermediate when I can. But like most of the time, I just feel like top water is the game for me. And like as long as the water's 48 and above, that gets the most fish for me. So my floating line is my most important for fishing the back bay. Great answer. Great answer out there. Bobby? See why you had me on, because I have such differing opinions from these two gentlemen here that uh, let me start simple with cleaning fly line, because yeah. I do not clean my fly line. I think it's a waste of time. I've never seen a difference with it. I've bought those little cleaning pads before where you basically you just run through your hands and it's this little, I don't know, it's not alcohol, but it's some cleaning swab. Uh, and I've done that before. Yeah, it's dirty, but you know, my opinion is as soon as it hits the water, it gets cleaned. Um, so I, I'm completely, I think there is a time if you drop your reel in the mud, you should probably clean it. Uh, that being said, salt water, uh, I always do wash it. You have to wash it, at least with fresh water. Yeah. I don't know if the soap helps or not. Uh, it just is one of those things. I think everyone has their opinion. I think the majority of people do clean their fly line. So I think I'm in the minority here. I just don't, I've never seen like a real difference where I've had dirty line and then clean line. And I say, wow, that made all the difference in the world. Like, don't get me wrong. I don't clean it. Like every time I use it, I'm talking twice a year. Yeah. So, okay. That, that sounds better, but I, I don't think I, I can't even tell you the last time I cleaned my fly line, honestly. Um, yeah. I, I, I can make you a big believer in that with the, uh, the Rio dressing. Okay. So after you after you dress your line and you go to cast it, it's gonna cast so much faster and further for about I don't know five casts and then it goes back to normal. <laughs> well, so every, wow, every, you really convinced me. I love it. <laughs> every every five casts, we're gonna reapply the dressing. Um, so oh, I so the, the 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 importance the importance of cleaning a fly line is really more for like I said when I used to do a lot of lake fishing and lake scum. The, the line would collect so much garbage, like, but for salt water, I, you know, I think you're right. You know, it's not, it's not as important at all. Yeah. Fresh water is key though. I mean, you don't want that, that salt to sit in the line and 
uh, do bad things to the real, right? That's the, the main thing in my book. Um, in terms of fly line, um, what's pretty funny is uh, I'll give a, a nice thanks to Dave because I listened to his previous podcast when it first came out many moons ago at this point. We're on episode what is like 63, 64. 62, yeah. 62. Um, and I learned Dave knows so much about fly lines. Like he takes it to heart with the cores and all the materials. And I never thought about that. Um, I don't remember who said it. it was either like lefty Cray or Joe Humphreys back in the day um, who hates fly lines. He, they're all about like 20 years ago, there was four fly lines that you could choose from. There's a floating, there was an intermediate, there's an intermediate four, and then there was a full sink. And that was it. There had nothing else to choose from. And now you look in the market and you could be banging your head against the wall trying to figure out which one you should buy. Um, the yeah. one thing I learned from Dave the most is temperature, which I never thought of before. So there's cold series lines and there's warm yeah. series lines. And I never thought about this, but in the winter, um, your line might freeze on you, essentially. If you're fishing like a warm series line, it'll become very stiff, very hard to cast. Um, and if you don't have a cold series line, it makes a huge difference. Um, so for stripers, like I now use Cortland cold water line because most of the time it's cold when I'm fishing for stripers. Um, mm -hmm. it, it does the job good enough in my opinion. I mean, uh, it's a $50 line. No, it's a $80 line. Um, so it's not in that hundred ish range, but it's not a, a piece of garbage. Um, and then I have a warm I series line. That a high end line myself. You, you consider that a high end line? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. When I say like cheap lines, I mean like the Rio mainstream and the like the scientific angler's frequency. Got it. Yeah. When I think yeah. of like a high end line, I'm thinking like scientific angler amplitude, which is like mm -hmm. 140 a pop and just crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, especially when I'm trout fishing and I, every other cast is in a tree and then I break the fly line like the third time out and I'm just so angry and pissed off. Right. Um, but getting back to it. Yeah. So I think the temperature and having the right line for the temperature is really important. Um, especially we haven't really talked about it, but if you're in the Caribbean and you're doing bone fishing and all of that stuff, if you have your striper line with you, it's, it's just not going to go well. You need a warm water line to, to fish that effectively. Um, I do mostly use an intermediate line. Uh, and the reason for that is because I'm so impatient. I don't have the time to take line off, put line on, take line off, put line on, depending on what's going on. And with an intermediate, most of the time you can get away with both. You can top water fish. Um, just don't let it sink. Just as soon as it hits the water, start stripping because fly line only sinks when it's really not moving. So if it's moving, it's not really sinking so much. So, um, if you need to get down deep, Here's where patience comes in. I mean, we're all fishermen, so we're all pretty patient. So just wait a little bit longer, right? I mean, it, it's by inches per second. It's by IPS, right? Um, so if you need to go 12 feet, instead of having a fast sink where it happens in uh, two seconds, you're going to have to wait six seconds, right? Um, so not a big deal in my mind. There are certain times, again, like Dave said and what Joe said, um, where if current's going, you'll need that fast line. But in my mind, if that's what's going on, guess who's not throwing a fly line anymore? <laughs> guess who's converting over to spin rod? Um, and, and that's just how it is. I, I really just think fly fishing is um, really dependent on the conditions. And uh, it shouldn't be, you shouldn't be out there trying to get frustrated doing it or be really fly or die. You're out there to catch fish, have fun, enjoy, enjoy nature, right? Um, I've kind of lost my train of thought on this. Where was I going with this? 
What were we talking about? Lines. We were talking about lines. I think I answered everything, right? Yeah, you did. You did. You did really well. Oh, the last thing was cleaning, but I started with cleaning. Yeah, you started with cleaning. So we know it's a waste of everyone's time. Stretching. (laughs) How about stretching line? Do you stretch your line? Oh, that was the other thing. So yeah, so Joe mentioned. So for those people that do want to switch off lines, um, I think it was an iCast this year, or it was the fly fishing show. Um, Scientific Anglers just came out with a new thing. Uh, I probably should just look it up. I think I had it up before. It's called a regulator spool. Um, it's just a portable line winder. It's 30 bucks now. Um, and it does exactly what Joe said. You can quickly wheel off a line. You can clean it that way, or you could store a spare line in that. Um, and then in terms of getting the kinks out, that is important. That really is. Uh, if you're all kinked up, um, not only is it um, just not good for the line, it's going to suck to cast. And everyone has stepped on line before, had it not up at their feet, right? And that really plays a big factor in that. So the one tip I think I would give for getting that out, if you don't have patience uh, like me, is uh, sometimes I bring my fly line on the boat uh, and all I'll do is I'll just, as we're just moving at a really slow speed, I'll just spool it out all the way behind the boat. Obviously we're in New Jersey, so make sure you're not in the fleet and like boats aren't coming directly (laughs) behind you or you're just in in for a mess. Um, But I just throw it out all behind the boat into the backing and it just naturally will unwind and do what it needs to do and then you just reel it back on real nice and you're done um so that that's my one tip for doing that but that is important to get out all the kinks um i will apologize guys because i have to run uh it's been a pleasure playing the devil's advocate for you guys uh you definitely know your stuff uh i think the rest of this stuff is that we're going to talk about is a lot less uh, controversial uh reels and leaders and flies so I'm going to leave that to you experts, but it's been nice talking with you. And Joe, nice meeting you for the first time. Uh, and nice I'll to let, meet you too. I'll let the show go on. Yeah. Dave, good to see you, by the way. Same, man. Yeah. Take care, guys. Uh, see you later, Bob. For the rest Thanks. of the show. Thanks. To touch, to touch real quick on what Bobby was saying about tangles. Yeah. Um, you, don't, you won't realize how tangles play a role until you catch a big fish, until you catch an alvey, until you catch a tuna and all your lines on your deck, and you will be amazed at how fast that line is getting is, is coming out of uh, coming off the deck through your guides, especially with albies and tuna. It's literally seconds. And if you have a tangle, it's over. You lost the fish, just like that. I mean that, that gets into one of our one of to our uh, our little section a little bit later. But you know we can do already go through that right now. So the other in the other section, I was going to ask. Stripping baskets and buckets, are they that important in a boat? Because I know I know Dave's answer with this, and then I know what uh, Joe's answer, but we're going to hear it. Joe, what do you think? Absolutely. I, I, from day one, from meeting, listen, the first time I met Bob Popovics on the J, right, I had no tri- stripping basket. And this is before they you can even buy them. And my line's everywhere. The wash is taking it. And he's like, look, you got to get a dish pan and make your own. And ever since that, I've always had a stripping basket, whether I'm in a canoe, a boat, um, on the beach, in a lake, waiting, it doesn't matter. I'm always, Dave, I have, Dave thinks I'm an idiot. I have a stripping basket on the boat all the time. I mean, not, not just the basket. I actually have the stripping basket from Carbon Marine for my boat, and I think you've seen it. Um, yeah, you know, I, I used it. It's, it. I like it. I like I, get, I like, like it a lot, that, that Carbon Marine stripping basket. Yep. I'm a big fan. Cool. Dave? My thoughts on that is you need them at times, for sure. Um, 
I think that it's detrimental to distance overall. At least for me. I feel like um, it causes tangles um, when you try to have 100 feet of line in it. So, like, if I'm fishing close range, then I don't mind it. And um, when I'm fishing the surf, like Joe was saying, you can't fish the fly fish the surf without a stripping basket. I mean, it's just madness. And yep. it's just impossible. Like um, a lot of times if you're fishing jetties that aren't friendly to the fly fisher, you're going to need one. Um, but what I do that's different than a lot of people is I look at my line constantly. So like I throw it in a safe place. Like if I'm fishing a jetty, if I'm fishing the sod banks, I find like the good places to stand where I know that I could pile my line safely. But at the same time, I mean, I have one in the car at all times. I have one that on my stuff in the boat. Uh, so line management systems, you know, the various different ones that there are, there's many that are effective, um, are important. Now, that being said, it might just look like I don't use one when I'm fishing in the boat, but my boat is a casting bucket. I got it designed that way. That was the main point of having my boat designed the way it was so that I could stand in there and throw the line on the ground. Yeah. If I did it again, I think I wouldn't have a front casting deck. I would just have a level deck on the entire boat. Mm -hmm. So that the whole thing is one big casting bucket. Um, you notice that when you're on my boat and it's windy and you try to throw your fly line, and we're on the bow and it flies off the sides and gets hooked up into like the your polling pole. And yeah, I mean, yeah. I can, I can understand that part, you know, but if it's like a nice day, like zero wind, it casts like a dream while we're standing up there. And but, also like, I don't use one every time I go because I don't like being weighed down myself. I'm like mm -hmm. a pair of shorts and a t-shirt, three flies in my pocket, an extra leader and a hook sharpener type of fisherman yeah like if i have to be geared up and carrying bags and i have 15 like 50 different flies on me and this flyer is a boga grip my waders and my net and then my casting bucket that's just not my style like i'm a bare bones fisherman i always have been gotcha i mean yeah we're all different in our own style you know what i mean that's what makes us who we are uh, all right so we got through the line we got to do most of that stuff let's move on to the next one then i think this Next one's kind of controversial because a lot of people just, I hear so many different answers about it. And I, you know, I definitely want to hear from you guys. So the topic is going to be about leaders. Now, do you guys, do mono or Florida is the big, make a big deal. And they, do you taper? Is it a taper? Do you do the 40, 30, 20? And like, how do you feel about like store-bought ones or the ones you build yourself? Joe? So, yeah. So, you know, I pretty much dabble into everything with the lines I have, I make my own, I use fluoro, I use mono, different times, different, you know, uh, fluoro is good for certain things, uh, mono is good for other certain things. Um, I, I do also purchase um, tapered leaders. Um, usually when I get a good deal, I get the real ones. Um, and I'd like those for, um, I like those for floating lines, um, um, for, for top water um, poppers and stuff. Um, yeah, so so I have pretty much I pretty much use Rio stuff and Orvis um, fluoro, and I have you know all the all the different um, pounds, and I, I can make my own 
Um, especially when I used to fly fish for tuna a lot. Um, I definitely um, uh, would make my own leaders and, and, you know, tie everything up how I want to tie it with all my knots and stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I dabble in it to everything. I like it all. Gotcha. You know? and, and on thing over the other. Mm -hmm. And like on average, like how long are leaders? Because, you know, some of the store-bought ones are like eight, nine-foot leaders. And then, you know, some yeah. of the, you know, some of the casting that we do is a little bit different. So on average, like, like what are your length for certain say flies that you throw? So for sinking lines, um, I'm anywhere from, you know, four to six feet, um, intermediate, maybe another foot or two, uh, floating, uh, maybe, uh, maybe, um, with big poppers around that same, same area, six to eight feet. Mm -hmm. Um, I generally, I rarely, I'm, I'm probably never using a nine foot leader. The only time a nine foot leader is good is probably for tarpon fishing. Um, but for, for striped bass and for what we're doing here, you don't need a nine foot leader at okay. all. Uh, six foot, an average is six, you know, six, seven feet. Okay. Eight feet, eight foot at the most. All right. Is there any instance that you would use anything shorter, like a, like a four foot leader? Uh, sinking lines. Um, oh. you know, if it, if the water is if the water's off color and you're using a sinking line, yeah, for sure you could use a four foot. Um, or especially at night, you know, if you're if you're going to fish at night, uh, having a shorter leader at night is also uh, is also a lot better. I like. Gotcha. Angles. Okay. Cool. How about you, Dave? What, do you, what what what's your play on on uh, leaders? Well, we'll start with number one, the tapered leaders. Um, I like that when I'm using smaller flies. Like, so if I'm throwing little shrimps to weakies and I know that's what I'm going to do, then, and I have a tapered leader sitting around, then I grab it and rig it up. Um, so for me, the tapered leader helps with the smaller flies. Like, um, I would imagine if I got into bone fishing, I would like a tapered leader. If I got into throwing those little crabs to redfish, I would like a tapered leader. Um, that being just said, I don't like wasting my money and I'm probably the cheapest person you know. So um, most of the time I'm just running nylon or fluorocarbon in various pound tests. Um, before I got into this stuff right here. So you are, yeah. Which is the stuff made to spool your spinning reel with. Um, I liked the heavier, thicker stuff because of abrasion resistance, but like, I mean, this stuff is just amazingly abrasion resistance and it sort of over the last year changed my outlook on things. Now, something I do a lot is I fish sinking flies and I try to, and I effectively fish two to three feet down with um, a weighted fly and a light leader like 20 or 18. And um, I will have it as long as my rod, sometimes nine foot. And that's just so it, you know, the thinner leader sinks, cuts the line, cuts through the water better than like even a tapered leader that starts at 30. So um, other than that, like different poppers and different flies are going to work differently on different leaders. And it's just like a matter of experimentation. Like, um, like tonight I was using, I had 65 pound test fly line and I had 50 pound test fluorocarbon. And um it would allow me to fish two feet below the surface, you know, intermediate line. Now, if I had 50 pound test nylon and that same fly line, it would only allow me to fish from six inches to a foot down because that 50 pound test nylon is so buoyant. 
as compared to the um, fluorocarbon, which is sinks faster, like 50 pound test fluorocarbon sinks way faster than 20 pound fluorocarbon. You know, it's like the difference of having a lead wire that's like a quarter of an inch thick is going to drop right to the bottom and a lead wire that's a 16th of an inch thick is going to um, sink slower. You know, it's like a density issue. So like there's still drag on it, but like you can slow it down to where the line itself will pull your fly down. And um, that's pretty much my cold water floating line rig is fluorocarbon, like a long piece of it. And it really cleaned up for me this past year. Right. Well, how about how about lengthwise? Do you play with lengthwise, or what's your like? What's your average lengthwise? I recently have been, and I saw this coming. I tried to avoid it, but I recently became a Kelly Gallup disciple. So that guy, most of his big giant fish, he says, are caught on his shovel headline from Airflow with a one foot leader. And like before, I always said to myself, no, it's got to be longer than a foot. It can't be that short. And his answer to that was, why can't it be? Like it, the front of my fly line goes exactly where I want it to, but my leader doesn't. So why can't I make it 10 inches, a foot, 16 inches long? And um, that's what he does. And I agree with them on that. Like even now when I use intermediate, I'm fishing a two foot leader. So, I mean, they're stripers, they're not line shy. You could tie a quarter inch rope to a meat hook and tie a rag to the meat hook and catch them. So it's like, doesn't matter. Like I'm pretty sure. And Kelly Gallup said the same thing that you could probably just tie your fly line to the fly and be fine. So, um, and and he fishes for trout and stuff. And like notoriously, they're known as the most line shy fish. And yeah, I think it's more of a fly size thing. But um, so no, I'll go, like I said, long when I want to fish deep on floating, I'll go long and thin. When I'm fishing intermediate from the jetty and like I'm more worried about abrasion resistance and being able to get the fish close to the tip of the rod. Like having that two foot here is super necessary for me. Um, grabbing them at the boat. Uh, not not only that, if you reel your leader up in your guys when you're trying to land a fish and that fish takes a run, some of the fly rods are built so poorly and in factories that three of your guys are going to get yanked right out. Mm -hmm. um, that's really apparent on stage rods. Like just about every stage rod I had, the wraps came undone and the guides flew out of. Same thing with any G Loomis I ever had, which is one of the reasons I started building rods myself because I was just so sick of that happening. And like since I, I, I haven't had that happen once on any rod that I built. And it's just a matter of making sure your tension is high and concentrating on blank by blank and making sure you have tight wraps. So like... Um, I don't know how I got to that topic. <laughs> uh, apparently, that's easy to do wander off of the topic. But all right, well, we got to that. Or uh, if it's or intermediate, I want it no longer than two feet, two or three feet, and floating, I'll go as long as nine or ten feet. Okay. Well, so that, 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 see, that's why I have everyone different. Everyone's on. Everyone different answers, and we want to hear all of it. So, um, so next up. One of the leases thing we really care about, but it's still got to be touched because it's still important, just as important. Um, reels. 
Now, reels, everyone has mixed review on reels. Everyone uses different ones. Uh, now, we know reels aren't as important as rods, technically, because they only hold line. And, but at the same time, you know, if we get into a big fish and we need to put that fish on the reel, uh, you better have a reel that has a good drag. I mean, am I right, though? You know, yeah, you, we're not going to be able to freaking, we're at, yeah, we're not going to be able to hand, hand every fish, and especially like a 40-inch bass. No, it's going to, it has to go on the reel. So we're going to have to find a reel that has a good drag. You know, um, Joe, what's, what's some of the, your favorite reels that you use, you know, on your boat or, you know, when you're out fishing? And, like, what type of reels should more advanced anglers look for? So, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a Lamson fan, and I, I think they're mid-priced reels. Mm -hmm. um, they even have some lower-end reels that I have. They're great, too. They're sealed drags. Um, they're decent drags. Uh, you know, so, so, yeah, I have a whole fleet of Lamson reels. Um, I'm not a big fan of these super high-end reels. Um, you know, the only time I think that you need a super high-end reel is if you're, if you're constantly fishing for speedsters like tuna, like, like tarpon, you know, like, like sailfish, where these, you know, $2,000 Mako reels could be necessary. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just at home with these lamps and reels. I'm loving them. And you can find them discounted, you know, at various places. Um, yeah, and different models. I love them. You know, seal drags. So, you know, the, the um, anodizing on them is perfect. And they're they're not going to kill you in the pocketbook, you know. And then they got plenty. They got powerful drags. I mean, I I don't know. And I set my drag with nail polish different intervals when I turn the drag now, so I know how many pounds it is. Um, I have my one reel set, you know, from one pound to three pounds to six pounds of drag which you'll never need more than six pounds of drag. You know, just think about it. If, you know, your rod's accounting for some of the poundage, you know, the bend in your rod, you know, the angle, and then the reel. So you can really put a lot of pressure on a fish with six, pound of, six pounds of drag um, that's set on your reel itself. So it's a lot yeah. of pressure. I've, but back, in, back when we first started, you know, when Dave said that he puts a lot of pressure on fish, I, I don't know, but I, I I can't tell you how many big fish I lost by over-pressuring them and pulling the hooks out. or You know, boat side, I, they were just swimming away because I had so much pressure on them, you know, because I want to land them fast. You know, I want to mm -hmm. land fish, you know, within five minutes. Yeah. You know, trying to fight a fish for half an hour, you know, I see guys doing it. It's just, you're just not, you're not fighting them fish the proper way, I think. Yeah. But, totally. so, so, yeah, the lamps and reels are, are so far, you know, my number one favorite. Uh, I like the T-boards. I like, I like, I like fine machining reels, but I'm just not paying, you know, a thousand dollars for a reel. I'd rather put that into the rod. Totally agree. And that's like the first section I said, you know, if you're going to spend the money, spend the money on the rod. The reel is just a line hold. I mean, if you have, if you have that kind of budget that you can, it's, there's nothing wrong with it. And, you know, those T-boards, those Nautiluses, those Ables, all those, they're all great, fantastic, the Rosses. Um, they're all fantastic reels, but you know, sometimes you can, you know, there's reels out there that will handle. Like for me, I'm, I have the, the lamps and I'm, I'm on the guru. And then also I have, I have a pair of behemoths, you know, those things are like workhorses. They're like a hundred bucks, but they, they, they do people, guys in Florida use them for tarpon, bonefish all the time. So, I mean, they've been tested. Um, yeah. 
So how about you, Dave? What, what are some of your favorite stuff out there? Well, I love to say that the real only holds the line, but um, it does a little bit more than that. Like one is the drag thing, but the second is the line pickup. Mm-hmm. So like, I have a lot of low end cheap reels from when I was a kid that I still try to use and they just don't work as good as a line that'll clear the line fast. Like mm-hmm. tonight I got into a situation and um, I had most of my fly line out in the water and like 15 big swells are taking the line everywhere. And I had all this loose line that I was stripping in that was about to get tangled in the rock. And I was using my Ross Canyon six, which is like a, I think it's four inch spool. And it picked up the line like that and was back on the spool and I was safe. So like when you see a big 30 pound fish or a big 30 inch fish, eat your uh, fly and you want to pick up your line quick because you know it's just going to go to the reel and it's a hazard having it all tangled on the deck that that is really helpful so like i agree with that it basically only holds the line but it needs to pick up the line fast that's my only thing uh that being said my favorite reel is on the market and i would rather just buy three sets of them is the lamps and three packs I mean, number one is you need to have those spools of different lines. Yeah. Like in, I have two sets of them. I have one one different line on every single one. Um, and even like two of the same, like two different intermediates. You know, like one intermediate's got a heavier head. It's made for just cutting through the wind. A different intermediate I like using in lights when I'm fishing wikis because it lands so soft on the water. Um, so to me, the extra spools that come free are the most important thing. Cool. And, and they're just great reels. And other than that, I do have those Rosses and I am in the market for a bigger, more powerful reel. But it's only for that reason. Like when I hope it costs as much as a as much as a real this uh, real, you know? Yeah. I mean, the, those Lampsons are solid, especially the one Dave says that has, it comes in a three pack. You get three spools. And yeah, the, the liquid the, or the remix. I think it's the, yeah, I think it's either the liquid or the remix. You get one reel and then you get like three different spools. I mean, the it's pretty much per- a lot better. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty much perfect. So that's like pretty much all three of us agree, you know, Lampson makes some quality stuff. So. Yeah. And so does the, the cheeky has the three packs now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have a few of the cheekies. I, have, I, have, I haven't thrown them yet. So, uh, all right. So this next one, uh, yeah, um, we're going to definitely send, our, send ourselves down the rabbit hole with this next one because uh, Dave and Joe love this. So uh, flies, 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 and more flies. These two are the only two guys I see tie flies every day when they're bored. I, I, I can't imagine what 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 their, their fly tying room looks like. There you mm-hmm. go, see? Man, those things are monsters, man. Like every day I see, I see, I see freaking Joe posting up new flies he's tied. Dave sends me pictures of flies he's come up with in the middle of his sleep. It's amazing, some of the stuff. So, uh, like, what are some of the favorite flies to throw? Um, and like, do certain flies call for certain conditions? You know, uh, does color really matter? You know, is there, and also, is there such a thing as too small of a fly or too big of a fly for a bass? And last but not least, you know, synthetic versus natural material. Uh, like I said, this is going to be a uh, down the rabbit's hole and you guys love talking about this stuff. So we're going to let, we're going to let Joe kick it off. So again, I, I'm kind of universal. I, I like everything. So I can 
you know, I'm a well-rounded fly tire. I'm maybe not great at everything, but I can tie all types of flies with all different types of materials, whether it's natural materials or synthetics. Um, I can spin deer hair, you know, I can, I can pretty much, I'm well-rounded with that stuff. So, um, you know, I mean, obviously my, you know, I can make top water poppers. You know, I love making poppers. Um, so, so yeah, so, so I don't have a favorite. I mean, okay. you know, as far as fly size and, and colors, um, you know, you know, at night I tend to use darker color flies. Um, I think I read somewhere, uh, was out of, um, Rick, I don't know if you know who Rick Murphy is legendary, legendary, uh, big bass fly rod fisherman. But in his book, he mentions at nighttime fishing that if it's a full moon, right. And it's a cloudless night, he actually likes using white flies, you know, and if it's a yeah, dark, it's darker and cloudy, yeah, if it's darker and cloudy, he uses dark flies. So, you know, it, it's really the, the situation depends, you know, the conditions and, and you know, all depends on what you're going to use in, in the forage base. Um, I don't, you know, the, you know, if it's fly, if flies being too small or too big. I mean, I remember, you know, I think I have a picture somewhere on Facebook from 15 years ago on Montauk. We were catching albies on, on bay anchovies that were an inch long. You know, we, we literally had to, we literally that night, tied new flies they were literally an inch and a half long and we would just cut them down you know and and you know so so i don't think they're too small you know anytime it's too small and too big i mean i don't know um yeah we tie these big giant beast flies um you've seen you've seen bob popovic's giant beast flies but you know i don't know i i think that the, the majority of the bunker that these big bass are feeding on they're 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 eight inches you know mm -hmm. they're not they're not 14 inches long you know um so so i don't i'm staying away from them giant beast flies the biggest beast flies i'm making are, are eight to ten inches and, and that's that's pretty much where i'm stopping at for for bass you know tuna when i used to fly fish for tuna it was everything was small you know they were on sand deals and they're on you know small you know it's basic four to six inch flies Gotcha. Um, I can, as far as crabs, you know, crab patterns and all that, you know, it's all the basics. You know, they're all basically, I mean, it's not a giant crab pattern you're going to tie. So they're all usually pretty small size, size one, size two uh, hooks. Um, I think in fly design, I think one of the most important things that could be overlooked is the hook. Um, I'm, I got a hook problem fetish. If you ever come over, you're going to see, I must have $3,000 worth of hooks. I'm not kidding. I got hooks from every, you know, manufacturer, every type of style. Um, so I think that's one of the most important things for flies is the hook. Um, why, do you, why, to, why, why do you think that's a big problem? Like the important thing, like a lot of people, a lot of tires overlook the fact about hooks. They do. So, so. Um, if you think of fly concept, and I've seen this, I've seen my own patterns do this, and I've seen other guys fishing have the same issue. So it's all about the fly has to track. It has to track properly, and it has to keel, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of guys will throw, a lot of guys like to throw lead wraps around that. I'm not a big lead wrap person. I just 
want a regular a, a better hook. But um, you have to kill the fly. If you if you ever notice. Oh, we'll have a slight like, pause. We'll have a slight like, pause. Did we lose reception from Joe? Oh, Maybe he's he he Oh, there he is. <laughs> yep. Let's turn it to a side. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm not a huge Enrico Puglisi fan, but his commercially tied flies, they turn to the side. I've, I've, I've tested them out myself. When you strip them in fast, in current, they're on their sides. Now, a fly going on its side every once in a while is great because it's, you know, it could be an injured bait fish. But um, again, in fly design, my number one thing is hooks. I mean, I can't wait to Dave sees my hook collection. He's probably think I'm a crazy, but my favorite hooks when I started fly fishing, Bob Popovich turned me on to them and I pretty much probably bought the whole stock of eBay. You can't really find these too much anymore to the Veravis hooks. So I have 2610s and the 2600s short shank. Uh, um, they were big tarpon hooks back in the day too. You know, recently, uh, I've also liked the Tiamco 600 SPs, but they're super expensive. That's the most expensive fly hook right now on the market. Um, you know, and lately, some of my late favorites have actually been the uh, Gamagatsu B10S. So I bought a like a, a hunter pack, 5.0 hunter pack for like 25 bucks on eBay. Um, big stout hook, you know. So I, you know, with flies, it starts with the hook. And if you have any of the old school books, you know, any of the old school saltwater books, they, you know, that's, they teach you that. It's, it's, you know, you you do your hooks to platform. It's the starting point of a fly design. So I think it's I think it's pretty important, obviously. And um, like. All your fly tying, is this something you just kind of learn on your own, do research? Like, like just say our, one of our listeners wants to start learning how to tie his own fly. Like, what's the best, like, a, uh, what's the best, you know, advice you can give them? So how, how I started was, um, I was, Number one thing was to try to save money, but that wasn't the case. Um, so, so, so basically, how I started the book, um, and I started tying different size lead weights so it would be easier to cast. And that's the, the fly that I first started tying. It's an easy pattern to figure out in the tie, you know. And then, then came the lefties deceiver. So, for probably for the first five years, that's all I was fishing. Mm-hmm. You know, so, for someone starting out. Um, if they want to tie their own flies, that's how I'm going to, um, you know, that's what I, my advice is going to give them. Let these let the deceivers and clouds or minnows, man. That's, you know, I mean, that's the pretty complicated much stuff, the, the complicated stuff comes later in life. You know, you know, the, the beast flies, all these special techniques and stuff, you just learn over time, you know, and, and, and you know, learning how to figure out how to, how to manipulate bucktail and all that stuff it just takes years and years of you know messing around in the winter time basically gotcha gotcha so hey guys if you want to learn how to tie flies start with the clousers and those deceivers man 
and they've been proven to catch anything. You know, you can catch bass. You can catch the what? They teach you a lot of skills tying those two flies. Yeah, they're pretty. They look pretty basic, but you learn a lot just from tying different ones and breaking it down. So up next, we're gonna jump to Dave. Dave, what do you think? All these fly questions I threw. You know, you notice one thing about my flies. Mm-hmm. They all have tail. Like, I think a problem with a lot of saltwater fly tires is they don't have enough tail on them, and it's just all head. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, having a tail that moves in the water and undulates and looks alive is the most important thing. Um, when I tie deceivers, I make sure that the I have five inches of feather out the back. Um, that's the number one thing that I can't stand about most I couldn't stand about most saltwater flies. And one reason why I don't like most commercially tied deceivers and clousers. I mean, clousers are fine. I, I love clousers when I tie them, but like I make sure that I have tail on them. Um, that's my main thing about saltwater fly fishing is the tail is everything. Um, and then back to the size thing. A lot of saltwater fish are lazy and they're after a big meal quick, like musky is. So like, I don't hardly ever am I going too small. I mean, the smallest I'll throw is like five inches. Uh, most of the time where I fish, the most important thing is the attractor pattern concept, like a like the Royal Humpy concept, which is, um, or the, you know, the Royal Wolf concept, where you have just a big meaty looking thing rolling through the water and the fish sees it at first glance he just attacks it out of instinct because it looks it represents a meal so like that's my main concept um i like colors that you could see the best so like in the middle of the day they can see clearly what the bait fish look like they can see the little nuances of the minnows and the food that they're eating as the light drops they see a shadow you know so from Dawn till about 10 o'clock in the morning, four seasons a year, they see black when they look at something. Dusk, same deal, they see black. They rarely see color. Sometimes they'll see like light reflecting on color. So a lot of my dawn and dusk flies will have like that orange head or and black, or they'll be uh, made to reflect colors of the sunset or sunrise. So, um, um, Cloudy water, you know, something about chartreuse, it just radiates through the water a little bit better. It's the most easily seen in the daytime in cloudy water. As it gets darker, the chartreuse loses its effect quickly and the blacks will become more visible. Nighttime, I'm going white. I mean, unless it's super dark where there's a cloudy sky at night I am going white hundred percent of the time. And that's probably just because of where I fish, it works better. And like, this is trial and error why I'm going white. Like this isn't like my preference. It's like, I catch more fish on white. Like we do things like experiments, me and my buddy, Azak and Joe comes out too. And we'll just try stupid shit. Like I'll throw only black and Azak will throw white. Like the last time we did that, he caught like seven fish and I caught zero. And, um, Vice versa, you know, where we'll go top water and I'll stick with the top water when the water's cold just to see if, you know, experiment with the flies. But, um, and then wait, 
I mean, certainly you've seen it on my boat. The weighted flies land better. They're more accurate. They cut through the wind and they cast farther than on the yeah. weighted flies. So to me, the weight's very important. I, any slide that's not a top water, I'm putting lead in from now on. Like, or a, a heavier hook if I am fishing real shallow. But I appreciate the lead and the flies a lot. And it does things like keeps your leader from getting tangled. It punches through the wind. It keeps your setup the right direction so that your fly line isn't leading your um, system. Like, I hate that. Like, when I'm fly fishing and my head of my fly line shoots ahead of my leader and my fly. I want the fly to be the first thing. And the best, easiest way to achieve that is to have a heavier fly. So that's will bring me to my next point of, that you asked Joe was about the artificial versus the natural fibers. I think the natural fibers just hold water better and they give you a little bit heavier of a fly that leads your system. So like in with those EP flies, I feel like they have to have lead in them to work right. And they also have, like Joe was saying, have to have a big hook so they don't just turn on their side. Like, I think there's a major problem in fly tying. And um, I guess it just be, comes from Southern fly fishermen. The saltwater up here, like the hooks are way too small. Like, I get that you're not gonna tie a one inch fly on a 2-0 hook, but, um, Basically, if you have less than a one like even the other day with Joe, I, I hate using one O's, but I had this fly that the fish had been eating really well, and Joe rose one, and then I cast it, and I, it ate my fly, and it was nice. You know, it wasn't that big, but it was a decent fish, and I hooked him, and he turned his head, and he was just gone, and you can't tell me that if I didn't have a 3-0 hook on that fish, I wouldn't have just hooked him, so like even a one I lose fish all the time, three mm -hmm. O's, four O's seem to kill the flies better and um, keep it running and the weight team tends to keep it going fly first through the air and um, you know when I'm throwing poppers they have a little bit extra weight so we, we can all agree that you know one of the biggest things about tying your own flies is make sure you guys use the correct hooks right and both well, guys the agree. Part of the pattern like you can't tie the pattern unless you invent it with any hook but you're going to find that you can't tie the same fly on two different hooks. Mm. Like you see what I like to use. I like those Eagle claw trot line hooks. Um, I like mainly because they have a huge eye and, and I tend to use heavier leaders. So the huge eye helps out a lot. And it also allows me to, to um, invade the eye space with materials. So like I could get rid of that, eye sticking out the front of the fly which i hate like i hate the, i hate any kind of fly clip i don't like large knots any kind of lure clips on i just don't like it i like the head of the fly to look clean because that's what the fish have their eye on they don't look at the back like those guys that say that it doesn't matter the fish eat it anyway with the clip i don't agree not even close like to me the front of the fly is the most important part of the silhouette and don't want anything to break that up um, so those hooks allow me to push the head up as far as I can. And I also like, they're thinner, but they're strong. They're like a mix between an old Mustad fly hook and one of those new fly hooks. 
and I'm having a major problem. I don't like any of the fly hooks that I've ever bought since I was a little kid. This has been going on, but I don't like the way the eyes I'd spent like a lot of money, like $55 on hooks. And, um, they either hook a big fish way down the throat or they don't hook the fish at all. Like they don't hook little fish at all and they don't hook in the lips or anything. And I don't want to hook the fish anywhere but in the corner of his mouth or in his bottom lip or his upper lip. I don't like it when it hooks him down in the throat and these hooks just do that. Mm. So I like the point on the hook to be straight. I don't like it to be, I could go get the hooks and show you what I mean. But like their reasoning is that when you hang the hook on a two by four, the point's going straight into something. And like, that's great when you're hanging a two by four from a hook, but it's not the mechanics that work when you get a take. So I like my hook to be pointing outward. Like you'll see, like sometimes the old lures had the hooks that were pointed outwards. And I like that concept because you want it to point out and hook in the fish's mouth. You don't want it to hook in and not hook anything. And like the circle hook mentality might work for bait, but it doesn't work in an instant when a bass sucks in a fly, realizes it's fake and spits it out within a fraction of a second. So I like those hooks to be straight, the hook points to be straight. Um, and I just don't, I just cannot find hooks that I like made by any of those fly companies for what I do. I mean, if I'm tying a nymph, I'm trying to dry fly. Yeah, sure. I like them. But for tying the streamers the way I like, I like a super short shank because I don't like having a long shank. I just feel like I hook the fish in the gut then and I harm them. So I like as short a shank as possible. Like granted, you have to have some shank because otherwise the hook won't work. Mm. You can't have it even with the eye and the hook point. It's got to be a little bit ahead of the hook point. But that's my thoughts on hooks. Um, well, I mean, that's that's where you go with that. You know, Dave, Dave went on a whole tangent about looking for his perfect hook he hasn't found yet. So then, thanks for breaking that down for us. Those ones are the perfect hooks in my mind. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I'll spray paint them black when I want them to be black and dark. Like sometimes I don't always like them silver, so I'll just spray paint them black. Cool. All right. So we went through the flies. So this next section, we're gonna breeze real through because there's a lot of stuff in it. But I'm just gonna breeze right through it. So, um, so mm-hmm. as new fly anglers or intermediate fly anglers, everyone makes mistakes, and um, like. What are the more common mistakes that you see a lot of fly anglers make and like what, what can they do to help themselves? Um, Joe? Um, so I've seen this a few times. I think the biggest mis- mistake they make is they, they go out and buy a whole boatload of gear, you know, and spend a lot of money to get into it. And I see, I've seen this so many times on, I used to spend a lot of time on the, um, the famous Island Beach State Park, North Jetty. Mm-hmm. And you would just see them walking up you know, with the greatest stuff, you know, and, and they can't cast, right? Right. So, you know, so, so I think that's, that's one of the biggest mistakes they make, you know, they, they go out and buy everything and then they, they, they don't have the basic fundamentals of fly fishing. So um, I've, I've just, I've witnessed that so many times. Um, the only thing I can think of that comes to my mind. And off the bat. How, about, how about practicing practicing your cast right days that you're not on the water you know find a nice field you know cut you know maybe cut the hook off cut the point off a hook and just 
literally just yeah. sit there and cast like day in and day out, put a hula hoop at the end, you know, 70, no, start small, 50 yards, 60 yards, 70 yards, and just keep casting that hula hoop until you land in it. Like, um, mm-hmm. you know, like three out of five times. I mean, practice makes perfect, you know, then that's, I guess for me, that's the same thing. I go, I, I, whenever I get a chance, I get out to the yard and I try to get a few casts and, you know, like your end goal is you want to be able to cast that, that, that full 90, 100 feet of fly line, right? You want to be a good, because, you know, sometimes you're going to need that 190 feet. You know, most, most of our scenarios, we have 50, 60 decent where we need to be, but you're going to get to a point, you know, when you get into like that whole bonefish, that tarpon kind of ordeal, you're, you're going to need to make that 70, 90 foot cast. Yeah. Yeah. It's in the sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty much any, any other advice you can give, you know, for mistakes that you've seen, you know, line management, don't step in your line, keep an eye on it, like any of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, going going back to the stripping buckets, I mean, that, you know, for a beginner, you definitely need some kind of line management there. You're just going to get frustrated stepping on your line or the lines getting, you know, tossed around in the waves and the rocks. Um, You know, and that would definitely frustrate you. You'd ruin your line and you'd have to buy another line and now 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 it's a super expensive, right? If you're wasting lines every couple outings so yeah line management's huge uh, especially in the salt water um you know going back to the basics and the beginners like i mean there's a lot of benefit to just going out and and, and getting in the canoe and going to your local lake man and just just learning learning how to cast learning how to catch fish it's perfect right you don't have crazy waves coming at you you don't you don't have um you know the wind's not as is as, as a big of deal so yeah i mean that's that's my recommendation for for newbies yeah i would always say start start a pond right find a pond full of bluegills or like largemouth bass or something right and just sure. sit there and cast them and and you know most important thing especially the difference between you know trout fishing and saltwater is you need to learn how that you know you need to learn that proper strip set you know keep learning because you're going to be out there casting and you know what that bass that striper is going to eat and you're going to freeze up as soon as he takes that line, you see him moving, you know, your first instinct, even your first new guy, like, cause if you're coming from a spinning, your first instinct is going to be what? Lift your rod and set the hook, right? Lift the rod tip. Yep. Yep. And as soon as that happens, guess what? Either one, you're going to break your rod tip or two, you're going to pull the, pull, pull the fly out of fish's mouth and you're not going to have a proper you know hook set into their mouth and the fish is just going to spit it or pop it out, you know? So, you know, proper strip set. I always tell people like, learn it guys. You know, if you if you're scared of it, leave your rod tip in the water. You know, just put keep your rod tip in the water. As soon as you feel that take, you know, your your rod tip's already in water, so it's already gonna set you at a at a pace and then you just learn learn how to do a hard strip pretty much. Yep. All right. Dave, anything? I think the biggest mistake that happens is people try to go right to saltwater and they don't learn. I mean, it takes understanding a trout stream and a river situation to understand fly fishing. Um Joe is one of a kind. He's like the only guy I ever met that didn't. But like, you can't understand it until you understand hatches and you understand matching the hatch. You understand the history of streamer fishing and you understand that streamer fishing and fly fishing are two different things. Um, You know, what we do in the saltwater, we're streamer fishing. We're not fly fishing. Yeah. You can say we're, we're doing it on a fly rod, but it's not fly fishing, it's throwing streamers. Yep. So um, you have to understand the history of the fly fishing and what it actually is and what it is not is throwing a bunch of streamers to 
a bunch of big fish. It's like you have to understand that it's fly fishing and it can only really be it's and like my buddy Jesse's right when he says it's they're, they're for trout because they are for trout. They were invented for trout and salmon. So if you don't understand that dynamic of functionality of the fly rod, then you'll never understand how to fly fish because you won't understand what the term mending your line is. You won't understand what a drag free drift is. You won't understand what a double taper is. You won't understand what a roll cast is. So like to me, it's essential that if you've never fly fished before, you have to start it on a trout stream or else you just don't get the mechanics. Like a pond won't give you the mechanics that a trout stream will. Yeah. And like fishing smallmouth with poppers will not give you an explanation, a full understanding of fly fishing, like fishing in the trout stream, having to match the hatch, having the fish streamers, having the fish sink tip lines, having to have drag free drifts, uh, having to mend the line. All those things are super important. And if you don't understand that, then you don't understand the fly rod in your hands. Definitely. And, you know, the three, the, three, the three of us can't stress it enough that, you know, guys, if you're going to get into fly fishing, make sure you practice, you know, practice, yeah. practice, practice. That's, that's, that's it. Yeah. The more, the more time you get on the water with a fly rod in your hand, the more comfortable you get. You, you need to understand that fly fishing, it's all about comfort, being relaxed. If you're uptight and you're stressed and you're like, you're, you're worried about making that 90 foot cast, you know, it's, it's, it's just going to make it worse. You need to be comfortable, you know, even holding the fly rod. Hey, you have to be comfortable. You're not gripping it up. Like it's a freaking I spin rod. Like what you just said about the 90 foot cast that you do need to do when you're in a boat that you can get away from having to do that. Yeah. Like you can come up with a different way to deliver your fly to where it needs to be. So yep. you don't have to master that casting. You just have to use your head to get the fly in the zone. Yep, exactly. So just practice, put your time in the water, just get casting, you guys. Just cast, cast, cast until your arm feels like jello. That's that's all we're <laughs> gonna tell you. And then just pick it up and do it all again. Um, all right. Well, looks like you uh, you guys did a fantastic job breaking it down for everyone. You know, we broke through and through everything. So this next few questions is definitely gonna be for uh, Joe because uh Dave's already done this one. So uh, <laughs> so so, so Joe, what are your, some of your favorite types of fish? Like, what, well, like, like species wise on the fly rod, like what are some of your favorite stuff? Uh, my favorite fish is a tarpon. Mm -hmm. um, if I would do it all over again, I'd probably would, you know, after high school, I would have, I would have moved down to the keys and would have been in that whole shindig from, you know, in the late eighties and nineties when the tarpon was like all over the place. Yeah. I just, I mean, with the, the way the eats, the jumps, the top water, it's, most of the time it's a top water game. It's just the most awesome thing. And I've actually caught tarpon. So, you know, it's, it's even, it's even better when you catch them. When that's your favorite fish. What, what's your biggest one on a fly rod so far? Uh, landed. Yeah. Landed. Not, uh, I mean, very, I mean, if you grab the leader, it's counted as landed. So. Uh, not very big. 30 40 pounds which are the most fun anyway mm -hmm. but i've i've certainly hooked big ones um and just jumped them you know i mean yeah um you know i just i've i've actually casted the pods of big ones rolling in mm -hmm. port charlotte in my kayak a few times um but yeah i mean obviously if i lived down there if i did more trips down there um i'd probably be more successful it's just not you know feasible right now um 
Yeah, with the key, I mean, I mean, the keys would be like your perfect backyard with everything yep. down there. You get bonefish, tarpon, all those on the fly. You know, what I mean, the flats, everything down there's you know perfect for what yeah. we do. And 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 second second to none is probably snook. I mean, I've probably caught more snook than tarpon on the fly. I mean, I already I I know I did. I mean, I you know in the mangroves and and we were talking about the short rods and and Dave with the accurate cast absolutely with the mangroves and you can with the short rod you know if you're either waiting you're in a canoe or in a kayak you can do a, a low a low to the water sidearm cast and get it under the mangroves all you know all day hmm. but snook snook are savages for top water man they're they're also um up there um so that i mean that's probably my <laughs> my number one and number two favorite fish to catch on the fly, even though I don't do it enough, you know, and I have family that live down there now, but um, I just don't do it enough, you know, um, and recently, you know, uh, straight bass on, on top water. I mean, you saw that explosion yeah. we had a couple weeks ago. I mean, that was probably, be honest with you, that was probably the biggest explosion I've ever seen that I've ever had on the fly. It was definitely a big fish. It definitely, it was only in like eight inches I mean, of water, 10 inches of water back I, there. I've seen I've seen top water strikes with stripers where they barely they barely hit it you know they yeah, just kind yeah. of just rolling just nothing nothing to it but um, yeah I mean my my biggest bass to date is on a top water popper you know and how big was that one give um, and take estimate probably forty pounds forty pounds yeah I have fish. a picture I have a picture of it I don't know if you ever saw it but I'll I'll send it to you yeah I, I think mean you did, I think you did I think you did show it to me what's that. <laughs> Did he ever tell you the story about that fish? So it's a great story. Without naming names, there's a prominent guy, you know, guide service on the East Coast that's well known, mm-hmm. you know. Anyway, so back, you know, what 10 or 15 years ago when when live lining was a huge thing or, yeah. or snag and drop with bunker. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, we me and my buddy who who I own the my first boat with, um, um, Chris. Um, you know, we would, we would try using deep sink lines to get underneath the bunker pods, right. Mm-hmm. And try Cause the fish, the bass were underneath of them. Yeah. Anyway, me being frustrated, I'm like, you know, I got to call them up to the surface. So I started, I have a 12 weight with a giant popper and I'm just for hours, just popping away, <laughs> popping, popping over and over again, casting and popping and and one of the prominent guides is, I mean, we're like, literally, we're in thick with the boats, right? Because all, all the pods of bunker are there and the fish are underneath. He's yeah. like, you're never, I said, you're never, he says, you're never going to catch a, you're never going to catch a big bass like this. You have to get underneath the schools. And literally a second after that, one came out of nowhere and slammed my fly. Man. It was, it was the greatest, it was the greatest thing. And I, I, that's the fish I landed right in front of them, you know, that's, when, that's when, got, that, especially when someone doubts you and then it just happens to do that. I'll be sitting there like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I knew, I knew, I understood where it was coming from because obviously yeah. all the, you see it on the fish finder, all the fish underneath the pot. Of in the bottom, I mean, yeah. I just don't like that style. My favorite style is top water, man. I mean, if, if I have to, you know, not catch a fish for three weeks just to catch one on top of you. I mean, Dave, you remember how, how happy I was when I caught that fish, uh, what was it? Uh, last weekend, Sunday. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I was excited mm-hmm. man you know even mm-hmm. even though they weren't huge fish it's just is there something about top water it's always my number one favorite game you uh, know? We, we know you're on dave boat top wires that top wire is the only game we play back there yeah cool so uh 
I mean, any bucket lists that you haven't knocked off your list? Because I know you talked about tuna. You had tuna, so you know, all, all that snook, tarpon. Any bucket lists that you haven't knocked off that you would love to? Yeah, so so I got a big one, and, I, and I, eventually I'm going to do it, is is the Amazon peacock fishing. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of people, you know, you get down there, you get the, the peacocks, you get the, the arapaimas, like all that stuff down there. And then what, what, the fishes down there are like dinosaur size. You know, they're not like the little yeah. like six, seven pound peacocks here in Florida. I mean, you get down there, you get into like 15, 20 pound peacocks. Yep. That, that, that's something I definitely want to do. And of course, I'm going to have a top water rod rigged with a popper. Always. You know, so yeah, that's, that's probably, you know, I've always wanted to catch sailfish, blue marlin on the fly and, mm-hmm. and, and all that stuff. But you know, that's not really fly fishing. They're, you know, I'm not going to knock them guys, but you know, they're trolling, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, they're casting, they're cast, they, they just lob a cast out there. I'm not into that. So I'm like, yeah, I'm scratching that off. The only time I've seen guys actually fly fish for sailfish, they're small ones. Mm-hmm. You can, you know, you can chum Paint them up or whatever. Them. Yeah. Smaller ones. And they'll, you know, they'll come in small pods and you can actually cast to them, but you know, for the longest time, catching sailfish on a fly was like, yeah, I have to do that. I have to do that. But you know what? I'd rather go down to the Amazon and catch peacock bass all day. Cool. That, that pretty much probably would have answered my next question for you was, would your dream trip, would that be that Amazon trip then? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. All right. Well, the last one is, uh, you know, pretty much we're wrapping it up now. But the last question is going to be, um, what are some of your social medias and you know if anyone had any questions they could reach out to you with yeah so on on um on instagram i'm only on the fly um and on facebook i i like i like um instagram yeah much better you know i've i've been on facebook forever i mean if you ever if you if you spend some time on mine and look at some of my old pictures from like a long time ago i mean we were dig into that but um i'm just joseph nicosia on facebook um but yeah i mean anybody can hit me up um you know i recently purchased a boat this spring i've rarely taken it out i'm always with dave (laughs) um but yeah i'd I'd love to go out man you know um and i think uh you know anybody wants to learn or anybody wants to you know do some fishing you know i'm i'm open for it sounds good uh, there you go guys i mean joe is very knowledgeable in fly fishing and if you have any kind of questions or if you want him to recommend some some gear or anything just feel free to reach him out on his instagram uh, we'll make sure we definitely link it down here in the description uh but besides that joe thank you for hopping on with us tonight and helping us break down fly fishing you know a little bit more deeper than we usually do yeah quite welcome man it was an honor to get on here and uh you know hopefully uh provide some insight and you know some knowledge of some people sounds good sounds good thank you man i'm definitely looking forward to being out with you a lot more this season get out there whenever we get the chance and i uh, also like to take the opportunity to thank dave over there for hopping on with us once again man your knowledge is always appreciated on the podcast too. you know we love the way you break down things to a t and you know yeah. that knowledge is it's it's it's, it's priceless well, thanks man i appreciate it yeah, yeah no I, love, I love dave's technical uh 
look on things with the fly lines and all that. He digs, man. He digs. He's like an encyclopedia. You know, he'll yeah. he'll sit there rant for about an hour and a half about fly lines, and we're sit there for like ten minutes. So I'm like I'm like anybody with the fly lines. I mean, if if one of the one of the pros is telling me the real outbound, it you know is is the best. I'm I'm getting it. You know, I'm mm-hmm. not. I'd rather spend my time tying flies and trying to figure that stuff out. The fly lines. Gotcha. Just tell me what fly line to use. I'm using it. Gotcha. All right, gentlemen, uh, I'm going to stay on to wrap it up, but I, once again, thank you both of you guys, incredible fly fishermen. I'm definitely getting out. All three of us got to get together on one shot and uh, get out there and slay some, slay, slay some fish. Yeah. We'll have to do it on my boat. We can get three guys on my boat. I, I think we can get three guys, three guys throwing flies. Yeah. We're going to have lines flying everywhere. That's going to nah, be a fun day. I don't know about yeah. that, but we could try. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, uh, Thank you once again, gentlemen. Have a great night. Uh, I'll definitely see you guys on the water this season. Sounds good, man. Thank you. All right. Thank Have you. a good night, guys. All right, guys. There you have it. Another finished episode of Tide Chasers podcast. And this one was it was a good long one, but it was definitely worth it. You know, we got to get into fly fishing a little bit deeper. Uh, we got to break it down a little bit deeper for those guys just getting into it or even already into it, but wanted to get a little bit more advanced. Um, the three guys I had on board, you know, Bobby cut out early, but you know, he had some things to do, but he had his input on things with the other two gentlemen on the panel, Dave and Joe, fantastic fly fishermen. Uh, if I had a definition of a, uh, a fly or die guy, it would be those two guys. Um, yeah. If they had the opportunity, they're going to pick up that fly rod first. No questions asked. You know, me and Bobby, yeah, we're 50-50. You know, we're, we'll pull the flies out when the opportunity arises. Um, and we'll pull, you pull out the spin rods when the time arises. Uh, for those other two guys, fly or die. That's, that's them all the way, 100%. Um, plenty of knowledge between two guys. Both of them are incredible fishermen. Both of them are uh, around their areas or South, you know, South Jersey, and they know their waters back there, and they've been putting up some decent fish. But uh, once again, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us on Tide Podcast. If you haven't already done so, make sure you guys follow, like, subscribe, and also follow us on Facebook at Tide Chasers Podcast and also on Instagram at Tide underscore Chasers. Uh, besides that, uh, stay tuned. we got a bunch of more uh, guests coming on board. Uh, you definitely won't, don't want to miss any of that. But besides that, guys, have a great night. Keep those lines tight, and I'll see you on the next episode.